Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is Monday, the 30th of August, 2021. And as the sun rises over Louisiana this morning, there there are, there are going to be scenes of utter devastation. I'm sure you have already heard that Hurricane Ida made landfall, downgraded now, but arrived yesterday as a Category 4 storm and continued to actually organize and even intensify once uh, the storm made landfall. Part of the reason behind that is that part of Louisiana is really swampy and there's a lot of water and it's very warm. So same day, same place 16 years ago um, that Hurricane Katrina came ashore. Hurricane Ida raged ashore yesterday Winds of 150 miles per hour. It tied the state's most powerful storm, Laura's 2020 storm, and then something called the Last Island Hurricane of 1856 before we started naming them. All of New Orleans is without power. Let's be praying for uh, the restoration of electricity. Um, People in the dark, particularly people in the dark over long periods of time, particularly people who need the kind of equipment that is provided through electricity. Let's just be praying for those particular circumstances today as well, even as life-threatening flash flooding continues um, as a part of the storm surge. I, uh, I like reading what Jim Dennison says when he processes through events. And so this morning I read uh, how Jim was processing this at the Denison Forum. He comes on the show from time to time, so you can read what he's writing at denisonforum.org. I liked the the list of things that he offered up today in his daily article. Um, he, in response to what can feel like, not this is not just in, in relationship to Hurricane Ida, this is in relationship to what just feel like waves of negative information about what's happening um, here in the United States, also around the world. Obviously, we have Afghanistan in view in the midst of all of this as well. You know, what What do I do when I just feel like there's nothing I can do? And so when I feel paralyzed or I certainly feel insufficient to the grief around me, Jim offers a list of five things, and I thought the list was really good, so I'm just going to offer it up to you. And again, you can go and read the whole thing at denisonforum.org. Number one, be prepared. Now, Jim does not say um, we ought to live as those who are prepared to die. But that is what be prepared really means. We need to be prepared. We live in a world corrupted by sin at every level. And we need to be prepared as gospel people for terrible, horrible things to happen. And that's a sober, that's a sober way to live, but that's the way Christ's people have lived in, uh, in the world since his death and resurrection. 
Be empowered is number two. Um, We do have a different perspective on reality. We know the good news. We know the end of the story. We have read the end of the book. We know what God has planned, and we know God. Be empowered. Have a redemptive perspective on reality and walk in it. Be present. Uh, That might have been the one that you would have guessed. Be present. Incarnation matters. Actually show up. Walk into the pain. Um, Walk into a room bereft of God and be, be a little Christ. Be a Christian. Walk in there with a redemptive hope. And for those uh, who don't live in places or spaces where we can literally walk in and be present, be prayerful, right? For those with whom you cannot be present, be prayerful. God is present. Let's count on that. Let's count on God sending his own people into, um, the, into those situations and circumstances where you and I cannot literally set our physical feet. Let's set our prayers in those places. And then finally, be practical. There's probably a GoFundMe page for um, the person or the people about whom you are most concerned today. There are churches on the ground in those places and able to respond, and they need resources. So be practical. Um, Don't help in ways that are not helpful. Help in ways that are helpful. Be practical. All right. um, What do you believe and why do you believe it? That is going to be the topic of my conversation with our colleague Sheridan Voicey. He is a BBC presenter. He's also a brother in Christ, and he joins us next. Why do you believe what you believe? Mm-hmm. Do you believe some stuff that's not true? Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to talk a little conspiracy theory. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Sheridan Voicey. You can find him at Sheridan Voicey, V-O-Y-S-E-Y, SheridanVoicey.com. Hey, Sheridan, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Always good to talk to you. I I know that you probably hear this frequently from people on our side of the pond, but I do love the sound of your voice. <laughs> That's very, you know, there's a really good reason why we're friends, isn't there? When you say things like that, well, we're going to be friends for a long time, Carmen. <laughs> It's comforting. I know that might sound strange to you because everybody where you live sounds like you sound, but uh, it's uh, it's it's oddly comforting. So, um, all right. So you um, you heard something bizarre once on an American radio show, and of course, I had to wonder if it was mine, and I hoped not. And uh, <laughs> so, wasn't. talk with talk with us about what you are observing. Um, about conspiracy theories and the willingness of not only Americans, but American Christians to believe conspiracy theories, and then how that lines up with your experience where you are. Oh, my goodness. Um, This is such a huge, huge topic, Carmen, and um, no doubt it has affected our listener in more than than one way. I think the last uh, bit of research that I read out of Pew, Pew Research Center, said that something like 50% of American church pastors uh, know that there are some um, people in their congregations who believe in the QAnon conspiracy theory that was uh, very big during the time of Donald Trump's presidency. Oh, it's Um, still very big. It's It's not that has not gone away. No, it hasn't gone away. Now, here's the interesting thing. And you probably know this, Carmen, but for for the sake of our listener, uh, QAnon debranded, they unbranded um, when, of course, there was the big purge by Facebook and Twitter of all of their accounts after the siege uh, on the White House uh, in January 6th. 
Um, and what they say is that two things happened. Number one, QAnon unbranded, so you don't see the QAnon word anymore. Uh, but number two, they focused away from kind of really attacking the Democrats to attacking COVID vaccines. So actually a lot of the vaccine hesitancy, a lot of the reasons for it, a lot of the fairly wacky uh, beliefs around that actually can be traced directly back to QAnon 2.0, if you want to say it, put it that way. Um, and that's affecting people right around the world and uh, certainly is having a, you know, a very bad effect, I think, on not just the witness of the church um, in my home country, in Australia in particular, here in Britain, certainly in the United States, but also it's leaving people, um, you know, desperately vulnerable to what is ultimately a deadly virus. So that's just one of many conspiracies running around at the moment. I mean, the flat earth community is another one that's growing, really growing through with Christians. Okay, um, so doesn't that seem like, like, let's just, because I know that we have listeners who are now very exercised that um, it sounded like you were um, un unashamedly pro-vaccine. Um, and I have sounded that way as well. And it has provoked them to uh, text and email me things that um, aren't very kind. So I would like to talk about a conspiracy theory today, like the flat earth. Uh, I mean, I, the the earth is not flat. It's 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 round. It's spherical. We've seen it. We've we live on it. We know that the horizon dips beyond us. I mean, I so ta let's let's focus in on that one, because. That is so obviously not true. Yeah, yeah. And and just a little touch on the vaccine one. Um, I also really want to make very, very clear um, that I'm completely for those people who cannot have the vaccine for health reasons or particularly don't want to for conscience reasons. I never believe they should be mandated. However, I think we should also be very, very clear as to the reason why we are you know, perhaps not going to go for the vaccine. As to Flat Earth, absolutely fascinating. Uh, what happens is certain verses are taken out of context and certainly out of the context of how we read scripture. And that is how some of these uh, particular beliefs are floating around. So in First Chronicles chapter 16, I think it says something along the lines of, um, you know, the earth is steadfast. It cannot be moved. And so what happens is those verses about the st stability, the order of creation are taken um, to then mean something that they don't were never really intended to mean. The idea being, well, hang on a sec, if the earth, the Bible says that the earth is steadfast, cannot be moved, um, well, of course, it can't be revolving around the sun. But of course, that really takes us back, well, how do we read scripture? And particularly overly literalizing certain uh, verses that really are there and using all the wonderful tools of um of language, metaphor, and simile. That's just really talking about the stability of creation, the order of creation, that it reflects the stability and faithfulness and order of God. It, it's not talking about, therefore, a flat earth. But this is this is the reason. This is where these things, um, I think, find some sort of connection with the with the Christian church, is that, um, you know, you, you can kind of take any verse and make it mean almost anything if we are to take it out of a faithful reading of how we approach Scripture in the first place. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to continue our conversation with Sheridan Voicey. He and I are talking about, I mean, on a large scale, we're talking about why we believe what we believe and why we pass on to others that which we have received. So on a smaller scale, we're talking about conspiracy theories and combating them today. But we're also talking on a larger scale about the gospel. Why do you believe what you believe? And are you passing along to others what you profess? That conversation up next.
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Sheridan Voicey. Um, Sheridan, let's talk about how we can guard against um, conspiracy theories. Like, how can I guard against that in my life? You actually make a little list here, and I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to unpack these. Number one is keep faith and facts together. Number two, mm-hmm. find hope and belonging in God. And number three, um, give those videos or those people who are out there on media or social media broadcasting things that when you hear it, you just like fundamentally know it's not true. Stop listening to them and certainly stop passing along to others what is not true. So um, let's let's unpack those. Number one, yeah. keep faith and facts together. Okay. Christianity is a fact-based faith. Let's state that really, really clearly. Uh, it's not like the Hindu Vedas or um, the, you know, the scriptures of other religious traditions that ultimately so much of what happens in the spiritual world is kind of almost in this fantasy land. Uh, no, actually, the whole idea of Christianity is that God came to earth in human form in a particular time and place in the person of Jesus. Then you go to the gospel writers and you find Luke writing specific accounts of the life of Jesus in his gospel, the gospel of Luke, and then his follow-up book, uh, the, the the book of Acts, and he specifically addresses it to Theophilus. And he says in uh, verse 3 of Luke chapter 1, Therefore, since I have myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He's naming names. He's uh, talking about specific historical events, all of which can be uh, tracked back and checked today. He's quoting people. He's giving names. This is pure journalistic stuff. So we we are followers of a faith that is based on facts. If there wasn't any facts to our faith, we shouldn't have any faith. So number one, we keep faith and facts together. The problem with the conspiracy theory is that by its very nature, it says that the theory, sometimes it's very much a fantasy, but the theory is fact. And this is the problem that, um, you know, people like myself are facing every single day. And maybe like you you uh, also, Carmen, when we receive those emails, some of the things that are going around in the Christian circles at the moment uh, just are not fact-based um, and they're driven by suspicion. That's the problem. Yeah, there was a story going around once that a guy named Jesus who had been crucified by the Romans for um, for sins lifted up by uh, by the Jewish authorities of the day, there was a story going around at one point that that guy rose from the dead. I mean, that was the story. That was the, that was the theory. And, and then it proved to be true. Like it proved itself out to be true. People saw Jesus, not just his disciples, who some would argue may have had a vested interest in, you know, in proving out that Jesus had risen from the dead. But you know, he appeared to some 500 people at one time. Like the the appearances of Jesus following his resurrection were many, and they're differentiated, and they're they were observable, and they are chronicled by people outside of the Christian faith. Um, I'm mm-hmm. think, I'm thinking there of the of the Jewish uh, uh, historical writer Josephus. So you know, it's it's fact based. We we are people who believe in what other people consider a conspiracy theory. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people who think it is bananas that we believe that a guy rose from the dead. And it wasn't just a guy. He was a guy who was also fully God and that he died 
as a substitutionary atonement, as a propitiation for our sins. Like there are people who think we are bananas for believing such things, but we know the facts. Like I know the facts of the matter, and I am not going to literally give the time of my day to conspiracy theories that are um, that are not fact based. And so I think that's. But I think the challenge, Sheridan, and I'll just I'll now voice the pushback that I'm sure I yeah. will hear. Um. How do you know today what the facts are? How do I know that the people who are who who have the ear of broadcast journalism are telling me the truth when they have lied about so many other things? And 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 they often are the ones who participate in sort of the grand delusion of the day that biology doesn't matter. Like, right. I mean, I there there are these conversations that because mainstream media has so given up on the truth. Why would we trust them to tell us the truth about this yeah, and this being question. the coronavirus? Yeah, such an important question, because what I often hear is people say, well, you can't trust the mainstream media. But then the very next breath, they're passing me on this viral video, which has got absolutely no credibility and absolutely no accountability for the person who made it. So I think there's a, a few things that we could say to that. Number one, get this mantra in your mind. So this is what we live by and this is what we promote verifiable facts from credible sources. This is what we want to, to really run past all of our news sources. Verifiable facts from credible sources. Verifiable facts means that somebody else very close to the action who is appropriately credentialed, this is key, can actually verify what is being claimed. So when, um, you know, some of these conspiracy theories going around that ultimately COVID was purposefully planned and released by Bill Gates to somehow either make money or to depopulate the world. There is nobody around who can actually verify that. That is a fantasy. And so uh, verifiable facts from credible sources. This is the second thing. A credible source is not a fake news website. And just this week, I've had numerous stories sent to me from quite literally fake news websites. There are only fairly new websites. Um, if the story is on there, often it doesn't actually have a journalist's name attached to it. If it does have, normally there's no contact details for the journalist. That's a big uh, warning sign. So you want to ask questions like, is the media outlet reliable? Are the sources credentialed? Just having a doctor in front of your name does not mean you actually have the right to speak about something like COVID. Um, if you and I were to go to the doctor because we had a problem with our feet, we probably wouldn't ask for an ear, nose and throat surgeon. <laughs> uh, both of them have got doctor before their name. One of them is not qualified to speak to the problem that we actually are doing. Unfortunately, a lot of the viral stuff that's going around, on particularly, say, COVID, has got a lot of, quote, doctors, but they're not actually anywhere near the COVID problem and they're not credentialed for that particular problem. Um, and, you know, when it comes to mainstream journalism, yes, we know that there is there is often bias but let's let's just keep this in 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 context. Um, and now I'm very mindful that we're talking into the American context and the media landscape in America. Um, I, I I it's very difficult because you do have uh, very polarized news sources, but you also have some news sources in the middle, if you like, in the center, who um, their journalists subscribe to a code of ethics. They are held accountable. If they are to say something uh, that's completely unfair, completely untrue, um, there will be some sort of ramifications for it. None of that is true with the person who you know writes their little blog post or does their little viral video and puts it up on Facebook. So this is the other thing too. Uh, is the source accountable for what they're saying? And the other question I would ask is, is there another motive at play? 
And I had to say, I hate to say it, but sometimes for those of us in Christian media, uh, there is also a motive. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it's a political one. Sometimes it's ideological. Sometimes it's profit-based. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, false information going around about, you know, so-called cures for COVID-19. Look, and I can say this, by the way, not because I've actually got a medical background, but because I happen to be married to a medical researcher and the lead statistician of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. So I've seen up close and personal, you know, the effort that's gone into at least one of the vaccines that the world has. And to see these conspiracy theories running around and they've got absolutely no basis and they're, and they're decimating the Christian church, this is a problem. And sometimes it's because uh, people are actually selling some of these, quote, cures, which are not cures. They've been found not to be cures. This is a problem. So we have to be discerning. It is really difficult out there. What can we expect from mainstream media? Well, we are supposed to expect from them fairness and balance and accountability. And when we don't get that from them, well, we have the right to demand it from them. But let's not say that that, that is a reason for me to go and then trust this viral blogger down the road um, who does a video saying all sorts of things, who's got absolutely no accountable, accountability for what he's saying. So helpful, um, Sheridan. Thank you so much. Sheridan Voicey, you can find him online at SheridanVoicey.com. What do you think? Let me hear from you. You can text me at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to turn our attention here uh, to two specific headlines of the day, the dignified transfer yesterday of 13 flag-draped coffins, <sighs> the loss of life related to the United States mission in Afghanistan. So much grief, so many questions. Um, we're going to turn our attention to that, um, as well as to the good news of the gospel in response. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How do you communicate love in your home? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Some people are word folks. Others show love by acts of service. Some give hugs and some have any mixture of expressions. However you display love to your family, make sure you're acting on it every day in the good times and the bad. When you do, you're communicating that there's nothing your teen can do to make you love him more and there's nothing he can do to make you love him less. That's a foundation that'll hold relationships together no matter what happens. So take a moment and write a note of encouragement. Give a hug, say, I love you. There's no better investment in your relationships than expressing love. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at parentingtodaysteens.org. All right, yesterday, um, the very dramatic images of the dignified transfer of 13 fallen members of the U.S. military who died at Kabul Airport last week. They arrived here in the United States um, at the Dover base in, uh, in Delaware, and our president went to greet them there. Um, many, many things that we could say about these 
13 individuals, I encourage you to familiarize yourself with their names and their stories because we should be praying specifically for them, uh, for their families. They do range in age from 20 to 31. They represent a mix of different ethnicities. They hail from uh, America's most patriotic class, which I would describe as the middle class, um, who often bear the burdens of America's wars. And so we're talking here about families who are going to struggle even to all be able to afford to attend uh, memorial or funeral services. Um, this is this is this is who goes to war. Um, and for those of you who are from military families, you know what I'm talking about. And though from for those of you who don't have um, military individuals in your family, you probably know a family who does. And so today's a good day to just reach out and say, hey, I I appreciate the service not only of your son, your daughter, your brother, your nephew, uh, your dad. I appreciate what that means in your family and what that meant, what that means that your family sacrificed on behalf of what is, in fact, a grateful nation. Um, they have names. They have families. They have life stories. They had hopes. They have dreams. Um, And they came home in flag-draped coffins. They all knew what they were doing. And they died for an idea and a set of ideals. And I want you to think about that. These are young men and women who, who died for the United States of America. What does it mean to be a nation that is worth dying for? For the Christian, you can take that to a different level of conversation. What does it mean that God found you worthy to die for? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And again, it's not that we were worthy. It's that God is worthy. He bears the weight of all the glory. And part of bearing the weight of the glory was bearing the weight of the cross. Jesus died as a king and for a kingdom. He, he regarded you and I as citizens of the kingdom of heaven worth dying for in order that we could be bought back from, uh, from an enemy who was holding us captive by the power of sin and, frankly, the power of the penalty of sin, which is death. So think about that today. What does it mean to be a citizen of a king, citizen of a kingdom, representing a king who died for us, who found us worthy of dying for? That's the gospel. I mean, the gospel is wound up in all of that. And so you can have that conversation today in the face of 13 flag-draped coffins and grieving families and a nation in grief and travail over the loss of such young lives. Yes, given in willing sacrifice, but not given in the same way that Jesus gave his life. There's a difference, and we ought not equate the two. Let me also say that grief is complicated. And while this grief is national, it's also acutely personal. 
So although we all feel it, we do not all experience it as those whose loved ones um, are in those coffins. And we do not experience it as members of the military um, who have lost comrades in wars spanning generations um, and spanning the globe. And so let's be particularly sensitive to that today as well and in the coming days. Let's be sensitive to um, former and retired members and current members of the military as we process through what is a very complicated national grief. And I acknowledge that. Blame is a part of the grief cycle or process or how we experience it. I totally get that. But let's be people who are sure that we're listening to others whose grief is complicated as well and for whom this grief is much more acutely personal than it is uh, to those of us experiencing it on a national level. And then let me say this. What does it look like and what does it sound like to live as people of faith, people who have faith in a good and great redeeming God in the midst of what has pretty much any direction you turn become hell on earth? What does it look like to be people of redemptive faith, people of faith in a good and great redeeming God in the midst of what's going on today? Take yourself for a moment to the experience of the disciples in the upper room and recognize that they had put their faith in Jesus. And then Jesus had died on the cross. And then he comes back. And the arrival of the Prince of Peace, the one who overcomes the world, changes everything. I imagine that as they're standing in the upper room after the crucifixion and the first time they experience uh, the risen Lord, I, I imagine that the words that John includes for us in his 16th chapter, where Jesus, Jesus had said to them, I imagine these words came back to them. Like, I imagine they're like, oh, that's what he was talking about. We totally didn't get this. We totally didn't understand that this is what he was talking about. In all of the passion predictions recorded in the other Gospels, you, you, you can see like the little light coming on and being like, oh, this is what he was talking This is redemption. This is what he was talking about. This is resurrection hope. This is the power of God um, over, uh, over sin and death. Jesus says in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, which I commend to your reading today, read, read John 16 today. Um, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me again. Like, that didn't make any sense to them when he said it. And then, standing in the upper room, after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, they got it. Now, they still didn't get the ascension, which he also talks about in John 16, and and you can read that for yourself. Um, but it's in John 16 where, where we hear Jesus say these words. I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have faith in a Redeemer who overcomes, who has overcome. And so, you know, what does it look like to be a person of faith in the goodness of God and in God's great redeeming power in the midst of the face of death and chaos? I mean, I would say, look at the testimony of Jesus at the death of John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus knows the Father. He came to make him known. 
Jesus knows the, the great and good redeeming power of God. And at the death of John the Baptist, Jesus is grieved. Go to the, te- te- the witness and the testimony of Jesus at the death of, death of Lazarus. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he still grieves with Mary and Martha. What does it look like and sound like to live as people of faith in a good and great redeeming God in the midst of what's going on in the world today in the face of death, inexplicable death? What did Jesus do at the death of Stephen? You say to yourself, Jesus was already ascended into heaven when, Jesus, when uh, Stephen was stoned to death as the first martyr for the faith. Jesus stood up and took note. And you can trust that Jesus stands up and takes note every single time a person dies. And so he has overcome the power of sin and the power of death. And he stands up and he takes note. And so do we. We do not grieve as the world grieves. We have the reality of a substantial hope, and his name is Jesus. You and I are in the world today to make that king and that kingdom known to others. He literally does have the whole world in his hands, and he can be trusted. More on that in just a minute. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. You fight for me. I will remember. All right, I do, um, I do love you. Um, thank you for communicating on the text line, um, particularly when we touch on topics that are especially relevant to you and your family and your life situation. So, uh, thank you so much um, to our, our friend in the 540 area code. If, if you want to text me again um, your name so we can be praying specifically for you, I'd love to do that. This dear listener says, um, thank you for what you're saying and doing. I am a mom of an Air Force pilot who is flying those refugees to freedom. He's 31. This is his dream come true to be, quote, in the middle of things. I can't imagine the pain of these families. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, thank you um, for raising a son who is willing to go and do and who wants to be in the middle of things. He certainly is in the middle of things now. We pray God's divine hedge of protection over your son and those with whom he is serving. Every time he lands to pick up um, another plane load of people, every time he takes off the hedge of protection uh, over the instruments and the technology and the flight path the flight path, and the people. Um, Let's also be praying for those who won't make it on board um, one of these evacuation flights before the window uh, to leave closes. Let's Let's be praying for those people as well. And that, you know, leads me back to this conversation about, um, those who would say in the face of all of that's going on today, what's going on uh, on the Gulf Coast as Hurricane Ida, now Tropical Storm Ida, continues to uh, inundate uh, the state of Louisiana with floodwaters. So the storm surge is um, going to be really horrific, um, but who has already devastated things in terms of wind and rain. There will likely be loss of life um, here in Middle Tennessee where the 20 families are now burying those killed in the Waverly floods of last week um, and mucking out their houses and trying to figure out how to put their lives back together. People on the West Coast uh, still battling wildfires. 
obviously the people of Afghanistan. But, you know, let's not lose sight of the people of Syria or the people of Yemen or the people, uh, the Rohingya people um, in Myanmar or the, the Uyghur people in the Western provinces of China. Let's not lose sight of um, some 82 million people around the world who have been displaced from their homes and can't go back. The refugee, uh, the refugee crisis is huge. The people on our southern border and south of our southern border, whose lives are so horrific that they would literally do anything at risk of life to find a better place to live. In the midst of all of that, you know, we teach our children in Bible school to sing and in Sunday school to sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. So I have a seven-year-old granddaughter, and um, she obviously knows that song. She's obviously also old enough and happens to live in the context of a family where, you know, we talk about the headlines and we bring the mind of Christ to bear, and we do so in front of our children and grandchildren. And so she said to me last week, "Um, are you sure he's got the whole world in his hands? And that's because from a child's perspective, it seems like things are really out of hand, like really, really out of hand. Are you sure he's got the whole world in his hands? Let me ask you, is that more than a Sunday school or a vacation Bible school song that we teach our kids? Are you sure he's got the whole world in his hands? So um, I turned that particular conversation to a conversation about the cross. And we talked about the hollow of God's hands. The God of the universe, the hollow of his hands is big enough for all the grief and all the pain and all the sin and all the brokenness, brokenness and all the death, all the grief, all of it fits in a part of his hand, hollowed out on the cross. When Jesus um, says to his disciples, and again, I'm going to encourage you to read chapter 16 of the Gospel of John today. When Jesus says to his disciples, you know, peace, peace, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then when he returns to the upper room after the resurrection and he says, peace, peace, he does so with hands hollowed out. So I want you to consider today that God has got the whole world in his hands. He is the creator of it all. He is the redeemer of it all. And those holes in his hands are big enough to bear the full weight of the sin and the grief and, yes, the death that we face in the world today. God has got this. And we have seen his wounds. Let's take one more brief break and then we'll be right back. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. 
Are you standing in the love of God today? Uh, That's where I take my stand. That is where I stand. That's why I stand. And let me just just affirm to you that when you can't stand, and when you can't stand it anymore, God is faithful to stand you. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in the love of God, in the person of Christ Jesus our Lord. My grief doesn't stand a chance when I stand in the love of God, manifest in the person of Christ my Lord. My grief doesn't stand a chance. Death doesn't stand a chance. Sin doesn't stand a chance when we stand in the love of God. We are the good news people in a very bad news world. And the good news of Jesus Christ applies to all people in all times, in all circumstances. He is our all in all. If you need another uh, reading assignment today, in addition to John chapter 16, reread the book of Colossians, certainly at least the first two chapters. Reread the book of Colossians and consider who Christ is as our all in all. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of the Father to dwell in the Son. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ created it all. Christ redeems it all. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the first place in everything. And through Christ, the entire creation will be reconciled to God. It's God's good pleasure through Christ to reconcile unto himself all things, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Yep, he's got it all in his hands. And there's room in the hollow of that hand for you. Let me invite you today to receive the peace of Christ, which surpasses all human understanding. Your fear won't stand a chance if you stand in Christ. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.